Listeners, welcome back inside the Feral Zone. I am Renee Coleman, operating under cover of darkness from inside the heart of the Clempire, Snake and Jake's Christmas Club Lounge for a change. Those of you who have heard this will know the Feral Zone is a sister podcast of the Troubled Men podcast. Uh, it appears in this space from time to time, and uh, a situation calls for it. So uh, this is one of those situations. Uh, tonight, my, uh, I'm joined by my guest. He's a terrific award-winning screenwriter, filmmaker, uh, college professor, sometimes podcaster, actor. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, worked in the, in the business for a long time. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, but without further ado, the great Mr. Henry Griffin. Welcome, Henry. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. So, I'm, a, I'm a multi-hyphenate. That's the way I look at it. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As many of our guests are, you know, it's uh, it's these days it, it seems hard to uh, to to make a living if you're just doing one thing. Uh, There's a plaque outside Danny Barker's house in the quarter where he grew up, and it has like nine things that he was, right? Uh-huh. Like writer, performer, you know. And I thought that's pretty good. If you could find nine or ten things that you were like legit at, that would be pretty good. Right. But then on the other hand, I like guys like have a card and it just says drummer. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's enough. Right. Just if it's you know rack on tour. Dug below drummer. You know. <laughs> no, you- I don't think I'm any good at one thing in particular. I think I kind of uh, spread it all out. Right, right. Well, it's uh, it's it it keeps you keeps you uh, entertained. You know, somebody was telling me about uh, about uh, you, you see you were about to take a breath to say something. I just cut you right off. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I figure you're doing the work of two hosts, so you're actually doing your own back and forth. You're doing your patter. This is actually the small talk that you would generally do before you introduce me. So I'm gonna be I'll be the other person, and then I'll also be the guest. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, well, this is 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 kind of the the internal dialogue that I have with myself all day long you know the, the back and forth like that you know um, well actually to, to give some some uh, background on this this uh, episode we're right in the middle of or right at the beginning of here uh, this was supposed to be a troubled men podcast episode it's been lined up you're a bit of a, an elusive guest uh, although uh, I, I pursued you tenaciously uh, as I always do true <laughs> The record shows. <laughs> and, uh, the tale of the tape. It was tale of the tape. Yes, yes. Months, months of, of badgering, even to the point where I felt like I was badgering you. You know, and when I often I'll back off and go, "Hey, man, I don't, I don't want to stalk you." And then you'll go, "Oh, no, 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 keep stalk, keep trying." You know. Once I gave you permission to stalk me. Right, right. Well, you know, it's like okay, I, you know, I can. But I, I'm a fan of your podcast, so whenever I, I saw all the people you've had on, I'm like, well, sooner or later, my numbers going right. to come up. <laughs> I belong in that group. Yes, yes, yes. The. Uh, the uh, musicians, writers, and misfits. Uh, yeah. You, yeah, 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 definitely a misfit. Okay, well, they're writer and misfit. So you, again, the the hyphen is in play. Um, so turns out Manny uh, pulled up lame today, just out of nowhere. Manny's uh, 
you know, he's, he's fallen ill. Um, you know, we wish him all the best. I'm not sure, uh, you know, what it is. I would say knowing Manny, it may be one of those old time kind of diseases like, uh, you know, like uh, dropsy or, or uh, rickets. He could have the vapors. He could have the vapors. The croup. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah the, the croup's not so bad. I hope it is, you know, it's uh, or like consumption or, you know, it could be. Uh, Lockjaw. Lockjaw. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's tetanus, I think. Is right, the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right, when you right, go right, suck right. some lemons. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, scurvy. That's that's a different one. Oh, scurvy. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't yeah. scurvy lockjaw? No, no. T- lockjaw is from tetanus. Like if you step on a rusty nail and you don't have a tetanus shot, yeah, that's yeah. when you get lockjaw. Anyway, uh, uh, Manny texted me earlier today. He said, uh, "Interesting." He said, uh, uh, "It's been good having you as a friend," which is interesting because Manny usually takes pains to point out that we're not friends. In fact, we are writing partners and drinking buddies. I and think I, Manny's become a hostage. <laughs> I think that's one of those <laughs> things code. where they texted to you where like, <laughs> or you know. I've never loved anyone the way I've loved you. I think he's in trouble. Well, well it's like the Terminator meme, your parents are dead. Right, right. Okay, all right. I hadn't hadn't thought of that angle, Henry. But okay, you're 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 shining some new light on this. And then he he followed up by saying, uh, uh, "I'm leaving you all of my VHS and cassette tapes." And I thought, well, you know, it's just, at least there's a silver lining here. You know, <laughs> I have to admit, as a semi-media hoarder myself, somebody who leaves you all of their VHS and audio tapes may not be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God knows I have enough enough bags of that stuff myself. But you know, there may be some uh, some vintage porn in there. That uh, I'm a vinyl guy, and after Katrina, somebody said to me, "Hey, would you have any interest in about three thousand gently used LPs of soft rock from the 1970s?" Okay, and I said no. Okay. Uh, it's just not my jam, but I thought that was a point in life where I was like turning down somebody's free stuff. I don't know if that's like taking a pass on the Poco. Yeah, it yeah, just seems okay. like, you know, you get to a point in life where you're like, wait, I, maybe I don't want all of your stuff. Right, right. But yeah, Manny's VHSs would be pretty good. Sure, sure, sure. Just, you know, worth a gander anyway. And then, I, then later on, he texted me, I'm so cold. <laughs> so, Gosh. Okay. There so, we, uh, uh, we shout out to Manny Chevrolet. Wish all him right, all good. the best. Picks or it didn't happen. But, uh, but you know, as, as always, uh, and, and you pointed this out, I was talking to you on the phone, and I was ready to, to, to tr- bag this thing because uh, we were trying to reschedule. It was going to be impossible. And you said, let's do it, Renee. I thought, thank you for bucking me up, Henry. That's just the encouragement I needed. You got to say yes to life, my man. You never know. Yes, yes. I yes. also have to sit inside my many hyphenates. I do have a strong background in VHS because for many years I worked at Video Alternatives, which was the best video rental store in New Orleans for a long period of time. Now, was, where was that? That was on Magazine Street between Valence and Bordeaux, a half block from okay, Levanta. Okay, yeah, yeah, I remember going there. Independently owned, and it was like the only store where you could go and get, you know, foreign films or old classics or weird documentaries or anything like that. And it was really like... Anybody who ended up making films or was involved with the New Orleans Film Society or anything else, they all had to go there sooner or later. So I got to meet everybody when I was like in high school. Nice. Because they had to come by there to get their tapes. Right. Was that some of your your early uh, uh, film experience there? It is true. I got a random job. It's a funny thing to start with. I got a random gig when, uh, when they were making Dead Man Walking down here. And the director, Tim Robbins, wanted... I haven't thought about this in a long time. He wanted a bunch of dream sequences and flashbacks and things like that, which were 
And I, they said they were looking for a Tarantino-like video clerk who uh-huh. knew all the different movies and all the different scenes. And I clearly fit that description. So I was the guy who like pulled ten or twelve movies with all you know Rosemary's Baby and such that kind of stuff. That was a funny experience. I mean, there was this is pre-internet, everybody. But that was just the funnest part of working there was having a key to a video store mm-hmm. so that any time, day or night, you could just go get a movie. Right. That's the kind of thing that really sort of moved my needle. Uh, we like to move your needle. like the sound of that. Well, I, I guess, you know, we're, we're kind of jumping into your story, but, uh, you know, I had a, a few New Orleans stories. Um, you know, you, you live here in New Orleans, uh-huh. uh, and, uh, you know, you're obviously uh, aware of the, the spike in crime. I guess it's not just in New Orleans. Yeah. But, uh, man, in New Orleans, uh, you know, I've lived here my whole life. Uh, I guess you have, too. Yeah. And, and you know, it's always pretty crimey, yep. you know, generally crimey. But the the level it's gotten to now where I see people like in the Marigny and the neighborhoods around there talking about how they are used to seeing people breaking into their neighbor's cars in broad daylight. And he said, now it's gotten really bad. They're breaking into our neighbor's houses in broad daylight, like in front of, like they're in front of witnesses. You know, there's people on the porch yeah. and the guys are, it's like... Jesus, this is a, a new level of, of, of being brazen, you know? Like, uh, I don't know. Are you asking if I have a solution? Well, no, no. I mean, just your reaction. <laughs> That's Mandy's you know, department. As a, as, a, uh, as, a, as a native, you know, someone who, who obviously is not allowed to leave, just like I'm not allowed Correct. to leave, you know? Because uh, your family will hate you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, it's... It's not easy. It's not. It is not easy. Every year, the murder rate sort of correlates to the population. There's always like a one in a thousand chance that you'll be murdered in this city, right? Right. If, if you think about how many people live here and how many murders there are every year, you think, well, those numbers are not great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think every time somebody has their car stolen or, you know carjacked, I, I always want to know what kind of car it is and hope it's not the kind of car I drive. Because oh, that will protect right. you if you have a different kind of car. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the joke about the two guys who are camping and then there's a bear who comes for their tent in the middle of the night and one of the guys um, puts on some sneakers uh-huh. and the other guy says, why are you putting on sneakers? You can't outrun a bear. And he says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes, okay. I see where you're coming from on that. Yeah, I just don't want to run out of neighbors. Sure. Okay. All right. It's uh, safety in numbers, you'd say. Uh, it's uh, You'd be a, a, a needle in a needle stack. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that image. Uh, you know, speaking of crime, uh, we have uh, Irvin Mayfield is out of prison. And, uh, you know, famed trumpet player uh, and, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, My former colleague. Oh, okay. Of course, because I, well, I mean, I taught, I teach at UNO, and he was in the music department while I was in the film department. It's the same building, the Performing Arts Center. Okay. All right. Well, he may be back there, because I saw the mayor is already uh, championing him. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, I don't know why it's a tough word for me there, championing him. And, uh, you know, as I see other people saying, well, you know, what he did was, was not right, but uh, other people did wrong stuff, too. And, uh, you know, that's from some of the uh, elements of the press here right. and the music press in New Orleans. And, 
Uh, I don't know. I see he's booked on uh, Lundegraaf and, and Jazz Fest. So that's great. Well, you know, I actually, a band that I play in was looking for a, an additional person, and I, I mentioned his name. I, I threw his name in the hat. Sure. Now, I don't, I'm not sure what, what came out with that, but I thought, yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, he's probably got some good stories anyway. I mean, he's a fine trumpet player. I wouldn't hire him at the library. Sure, sure. <laughs> or, to, or to work the cash register at, uh, at the uh, video store. Um, uh, moving on. So, uh, and then, uh, I saw our mayor. I don't know if you caught her on, uh, our mayor Latoya Cantrell. She was on, uh, Face the Nation last week. Show I always try to catch on, uh, CBS mm -hmm. Sunday mornings. No, you're busy over there at the Pretend. I'm probably so, at the movies, but, but yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you have that uh, CBS app on your streaming mm -hmm. services, you can look it up. It's there. In fact, uh, her segment is there. And, and uh, you know, she's on a panel, and they're uh, asking her about, you know, challenges in the city of New Orleans, her, some of her personal scrutiny she's under, and, and the crime. And, and uh, you know, the, just before that, she was named uh, in a, a, divor a divorce uh, mm -hmm. uh, filing by her. Her, her former security guard and I guess uh, close friend, uh, and and uh, so so she's she's talking uh, on the on the panel and she's saying, well, uh, you know, we're giving our officers everything they need to do their jobs, and I, I was uh, wishing someone or I was in the audience and scream out, blow jobs. But uh, you know, I had to do that in my uh, <laughs> in my uh, in the, for, for my own amusement because I was alone in my uh, living room when I but. Uh, yeah, I guess that's um, not something they're going to mention on CB. That's like the last network that's going to mention that. Yeah, no, well, it's, it's, uh, it has to be an aside. Anyway, I thought you might get a little kick out of that. Uh, <laughs> um, but you're looking at your phone, which... Uh, I was trying to remember a quote that I thought would be clever, but I can okay. neither remember the quote nor... Um, Find it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah no, interrupt the pod. Uh, you have okay. my undivided attention. Very good, very good. I like that. I like to see. Your I'm not eyes. checking my messages. Okay. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, I'm also I'm also a teacher, and so you have to uh, you have to uh, think about the space filmmakers call between action and cut, where it, like all that matters is what you're doing. So I tried to be fully committed, but you you made me want to think of something clever, and I couldn't remember it. So there you go. No problem. Well, you know, I want to get back to the to the phone and you being a teacher, but maybe we should uh, should get into to your story Henry get into uh, the nuts and bolts of, of uh, Henry Griffin I can't, I want to say as a, a listener to this podcast I wasn't picturing your copious notes really yeah you have a full-on <laughs> composition book in the long hand you've got some like bookmarks I feel like you're you know you're doing the work you're like a Terry gross level questioner Look, all this that you see for you today, these two yeah. pages, I did all that today. That's That was all generated today just since I spoke to you. Because I like to do it at the last minute because then it's fresh, you know. It's right. like I have it here, but it's also kind of still in my short-term memory. Didn't you know? Larry King want to know nothing, that he would never read the person's book because he wanted to be like somebody in the audience? He did, exactly, yes. <laughs> he, 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 and he was very good at it. Now, Manny takes that same approach, you know. He, he knows absolutely nothing yeah. about the guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but in fact, you said you, you actually do know Manny And you were saying you're, you're related to Manny somehow? I do um, <laughs> We're connected uh, via a previous podcast interview uh, Gerald Herbert So uh, Manny and I share a brother-in-law His um, Gerald Herbert, the great globe-trotting uh, uh, um, uh, 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 journalistic photographer. He's the adventurer. Adventurer. He's Action met with hero Gerald Herbert is... Met um, with uh, 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 
the nur- the nun, uh, Ma- uh, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, Manny's he's Manny's wife's brother and my sister's husband. Okay. So we're, I want to say we're practically oh, wow. related. We're we're, oh, we're related oh, yeah, enough. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sister's husband, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, um, <laughs> sorry, Manny's not here for that, but, uh, but we can uh, fix it in post. Right, 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 right. We can, uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, Photoshop him in. Um, anyway, so yes, my notes. But uh, uh, so in the notes, um, we're uh, getting back to your origins here. So, mm-hmm. so uh, your family's from New Orleans. Been here for a while. On my mother's side, yes, I've an interesting family history on my mother's side. My grandmother, my mother's mother, was, if I'm not mistaken, the first female court reporter in New Orleans. And so she was, among other things, the court reporter at the Clay Shaw trial, the JFK trial. Sure, sure. So she was sort of there for all that. And she was somebody who was around the court system a lot. She knew a lot of interesting people. Prosecuted by that dastardly Jim Garrison. (laughs) Yeah, she was there for all of it. It was very, very interesting. Okay. I bet she saw some shit, man. Um, so, so you're from New Orleans. Uh, what part of town you grow up in? I'm an uptowner. I, uh, my, my mother is from uptown too. Then she moved to New York. I met my dad and my sisters and I were born up there, but I've lived here since I was a little kid and we grew up on Britannia street, very near the Britannia theater, oh, Okay, which nice I think is how I ended up being a movie person back in the eighties. It was one of those, uh, it was a calendar theater, a repertory theater where they would change double features three times a week and they were always showing old movies and artsy films and so I think that was probably I was interested in movies even under the age of 10 I definitely knew that when I was a little kid I would just ask to go to the movies by myself which is I guess that's not something that 8 year olds generally do (laughs) so I would go see like um the in-laws with Alan Arkin and oh, Peter nice. Fox. That was my jam. In 1979. I'm like, let's go. Oh, you so, like the you like the talkies. You like absolutely. where people sit, sit in a room and talk to each other. Yeah, I like this too. I like Star Wars too, but I was, you know, I knew there was other stuff going on. Right. Uh, but no, sorry. I grew up near the Britannia, and I went to Jesuit High School, and I went to Loyola, and okay. uh, so I spent real, a lot of time here Catholic in education. Absolutely. My dad was in the Jesuits for eight years. He huh. left the Jesuits uh, at, to sort of. L- you know, lead a different life, and then, um, and then I stayed around in New Orleans for a few years after I graduated college, and that was um, probably when I really fell for the place. I think I could have left if I'd gone off to college somewhere else when I was eighteen. I think I would have had that different, that sort of nostalgic rear view that a lot of people have about New Orleans, where they grew up there, but they go off and they do something else and they love coming back. But I think I, uh, I was like a short person when I was a child, which mm. when you're you know, when you're not a tall teenager in New Orleans, you can't get into any bars. Okay. Okay. So I didn't get that experience of other people. Uh, you know, like when I was in high school, I was friends with Davis Rogan. Uh-huh. And he was, you know, like two years older than me, but he was, you know, passed for an adult at probably 13 or 14. Uh-huh. He's so gigantic. And so I think I didn't get to have the adult life where you get to go into the saloons and see music and things like that till I got to college. And then once you get that part of New Orleans, it's really hard to get it out of your system. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Because I was uh, tall as well at, for my age. So yeah, and uh, you know, dressed well. So yeah, I could get in. And you grew up here too? Oh yeah, yeah. My family's been yeah. here for for couple hundred years and uh yeah, yeah I, I grew up here i grew up playing music and you know so yeah i was used to being around adults it was easy for me to walk into clubs i mean i started going to cafe brazil when it was a coffee shop 
Well, yeah, yeah, me right. too. I mean, yeah, I remember Frenchman Street before when right. when the only thing that was on it was Snug Harbor and sometimes the Dream Palace, which would close right. for long periods of time. And I was telling somebody on the podcast, in fact, this guy I had on the podcast had an apartment right where Frenchman makes that first turn coming off of Esplanade. The entire second floor, it must have been like, I don't know, 3,000 square feet or something like that. They paid like $400 a month yeah. for that entire, like, you know, 70-foot-long uh, balcony on, on Frenchman Street. Do you play the cheap rent game? What was your cheapest rent in New Orleans? Oh, I mean, you know, yeah, we had... Uh, I think my wife and I stayed in a place that she was paying like $165 for 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 a while, you know. And you split it? No, she, I was just staying there. So <laughs> she was paying for it. I had a I remember I was living with um Ben Elman, who's now in Galactic, and Arthur Kessler, who's the original bass player for the Klezmer All Stars. Sure, I went to uh, high school with Arthur's sister. All right. Uh, Marie, so yeah, yeah. and so we shared the three of us shared an apartment on Napoleon Avenue. And the rent was three hundred and thirty-five dollars a month, so we would split it three ways: one eleven sixty-six a person. <laughs> and then I left. I moved in with somebody that I was seeing at the time, and she and I shared a place that was two hundred and twenty-five dollars a month. So that was uh, one twelve fifty. So my rent went up eighty-four cents. <laughs> But you had female companionship, so it was worth it. Right? It was definitely trading up. But I, yeah, I just yeah. remember those numbers just don't mean to me. I had a friend who was living in a place that was 160 and he split it with his girlfriend. I was like, you're paying $80. <laughs> now, I know you could bring in somebody who's a generation older than us, and they're like, I bought this house for $850. But it just seems like it... it it doesn't seem that long ago, but then when you run the numbers, you're like, that's just a different world. Yes, 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 it was. And, you know, you're talking about a different world. I know we're kind of jumping around here. Um, when you're getting back to the, the Britannia thing, um, you know, we're talking about the, the working at the video store. So before there was such a thing as a video store, if you wanted to see a movie, either you waited for it to come on television, which certain things it was never going to, you know, right. Equus was never going to play on television. But the Britannia, yes, it, it was one of those places that would have like two, uh, a Woody Allen double feature would run right. for three days. And then it would switch, it would be like, uh, you know, Equus and the Witches or something yeah. for, for a weekend. And man, I saw so many, so many great movies there. It was a wild time to the 80s. Again, I was a young teenager, so I didn't really get involved in the wildness, but I could just, it was just a, a, a really, a really, a party scene. And so you're 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 now uh, we're really jumping around a lot. You're, you're now uh, the host of of the classic movie series they have there on Sundays, right? I'm one of two hosts, so okay. I introduce the movies on Sunday. Somebody else does it on Wednesday, so we both do it. But okay. it's pretty fun to get up in front of people and introduce a movie. I mean, you can jump from being a kid to being what I am now, which is a college professor. So I now hang around all the time with people who were like my favorite age, eighty to <laughs> eighty eighteen to twenty five. It's a pretty good. De demographic. I really enjoyed those years of my life, and I love to be around people who are that age. Okay, even even the ones today. Huh? All right. Well, we're going to get into that too. Um, well, well. First of all, let, let's let's go back uh, to uh, you know. So you go to Jesuit. 
Then you uh, you go to Loyola. What do you study at Loyola? Are you studying film there? Are you already interested in film? Are you involved? Are you doing screenwriting? No, I. You know, I was. I think this is sort of a, where my life sort of took an interesting turn. Everybody who wanted to be a filmmaker was going to go to NYU or USC or one of those big schools, like all the big guys did. And I got into those schools, but I couldn't afford it, and so I mm. stayed at Loyola, where they gave me a scholarship. Right. And I didn't know about UNO, which did have a film program even then. Uh, and so I went to Loyola, and Loyola did have a sort of AV department. They had a great communications department. I don't undersell it, but it was very television oriented because Loyola owned WWL. WWL. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just got a degree in English, like my parents, English literature. So I studied literature, and I I took film classes on the side. I took a lot of film studies, but I was really autodidactic. Mm-hmm. And then I worked at the college newspaper, the Maroon, and I did a lot of writing for the school paper, and I became a film critic and all that other stuff. And then. I had a great writing teacher named Raymond Schroth, who is a Jesuit priest and also a journalist. And he probably, more than any other individual teacher, helped me become a good writer. Okay. Uh, you know, strunk and white, and, you know, journalistic mm-hmm. writing, which right, is right. really the opposite of creative writing, you know, where you're sort of trying to find your own style. There's something really transparent to writing in a journalistic news style. Mm-hmm. And screenwriting, which is what I started to do when I was 25, and I still do it now is also kind of transparent. It's kind of great for your writing not to get in the way of this thing you're describing, which is some elaborate movie you're hoping that somebody will make. Okay. Interesting. So so uh, the the path to being a screenwriter, so you, you leave Loyola, how, how do you wind up? Because I know you worked like from 1996 on uh, in Hollywood as a, right, a this professional is a- screenwriter and script doctor. So this is an interesting story. Screenwriting is one of the few ways to break into the movie business if you aren't connected and don't know somebody, and particularly if you don't know how to like do anything. Because okay. you know, I'm not a, I'm not the most technical of filmmakers. I don't edit the footage or uh, operate the camera or any of that stuff. I'm more of a writer, a storyteller type person. Mm-hmm. But in the '90s, that was an era. Like the '80s and '90s were an era that you could sort of write a, a spec script, an original screenplay that was your own idea, and sell it. Like you know, Shane Black who wrote Lethal Weapon, or Joe Estrahouse who wrote um, Fatal Attraction. People like that. They made it seem like there was an industry to be built out of random people anywhere writing a screenplay. So if you know anybody who's like. I want to write a screenplay or I want to be a screenwriter. Chances are they're sort of um, participating in a mythic structure of, you know, people writing their own ticket into Hollywood. And so I thought that's what I would do. I had a lot of fun for those three years after college where I was, you know, hanging out on Frenchman Street and, you know, living with musicians and just really appreciating New Orleans at its very best. But I remembered I was going to do something with my life. And so I... um, Dave Clements, our our, our, uh, patron... With here in the Clempire. Thank Make you, my cameo man. Cameo appearance. All right, Dave. <laughs> All right, continue. So I had some friends who worked in show business, and they gave me an opportunity to move out to Los Angeles. And this is where I wish Manny was really here because he's the Angelino. But I lived in Los Angeles for many years, so I lived over a garage in Laurel Canyon, sort of in oh, West Hollywood, okay. in a very sort of interesting, historically interesting area of Los Angeles. Cool. I, what, I, what street? I lived on Lookout Mountain. Oh, all right. I lived in a house um, that had been owned by, it was originally owned by Tom Mix, the cowboy star. Yeah. <laughs> and his, his horse, Tony, the, uh, the 
a horseshoe <laughs> was nailed into the front door. Nice. But that was the big house. And it was um, later owned by David Niven, who, oh, okay. who kept it as a party house. He called it the Rogue's Retreat. Oh, nice. So I lived in the Rogue's Retreat, but I didn't live in that house proper. I lived in the guest house that was over the garage. Even better. You know, I didn't think it was very much until years later I met the actor Scott Wilson, who uh, was in In Cold Blood with Robert Blake. Oh, okay. And he lived over that garage where I lived for like nine years, like for the entire 70s. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm clearly somewhere interesting. But no, I ended up sort of in the... Uh kind of in the catbird seat where I was I went from being like a nobody person from New Orleans to living in Los Angeles and being around a lot of show business professionals uh-huh. so I did this thing that nobody ever does which is that I sold the first script I ever finished I know right so I wrote this script and sold it to Fox um basically some version of 20th Century Fox called Fox 2000 uh-huh. and it was never made but it got it, it into the world of uh studio screenwriting i was what a script doctor or a rewriter so for years i would go take meetings at different studios and um i usually wouldn't get work but i'd pitch projects and i'd just be meeting executives and doing sort of interesting stuff and then i would rewrite movies that were in production that were not my ideas but they could use a little um punching up a little magic you at the, the the i remember somebody said they were looking for um they said we want to take this in a fargo type direction and i got that job and so i felt like barton fink Right, I had that Barton Fink feeling. Like uh-huh. if they wanted to make it darker or weirder, that would be me. I have an, I have a sort of, um, I don't know. I guess a dark sense of humor. It's very okay. welcome on this podcast, of course. Sure, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, again, you, as you said, you're a natural man. Well, you know, you're a guy who I, we don't know each other very well at all. But uh, you know, I've always uh, been intrigued by you because you have a, an impish uh, look of intelligence yeah. in your eyes. You know, a spark. You got a spark that I like. Got a spark. I'll take it. Yesterday, we don't know each other well, but I've I've been around your band for so long because when I was like 20, you guys were the grown person's band. And so you had the biggest crowds and, you know, I was like, uh, and I I ended up being good friends with Joe and I I see all the rest of you guys. Um, I'll take impish. That's pretty good. I mean, well, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that to, to, I don't say that in a dismissive way. It's just uh, the... You know, when I say impish, I mean like you have a sense of humor. Like oh, you're, yes, all, you're always ready to. Yeah. You, you've got some joke, like some some humorous take on things you're about to share. You know, <laughs> I think you know George Carlin. I think used to tell this joke about the difference between the class clown and the class comedian. He says something like that: the class clown is the guy who runs out on the fifty yard line of the football game, like naked, with ten thousand people watching, and the class comedian talked him into doing it. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's who I am. I'm sort of <laughs> right. A, a, a quiet. Uh, Shit, sir. Uh, I can see why you're friends with Davis. It uh, works perfectly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, for people who are listening, I feel like there's a lot of people in New Orleans who would know who I was if they saw me because for the better part of the last 30 years, I've had a giant mop of red hair. Yes. The, yeah, yeah. The yeah. size of which would like, you know, at its peak, used to keep me from going through revolving doors. <laughs> Powerful set of hair. One of the few redheads uh, that we've had on the podcast. Actually, we've only had a few. I think uh, uh, Tim Robertson uh, might be the only other male redhead can't think of any other females right off the top of my head a but, two percenter yes yes well you know both of my children are redheads so right uh, so i have a have a, a real soft spot for, for you I, I don't know a lot of redheads who really identify horizontally that way where you're like hey another redhead we very you know we're just we're so used to being 
I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a dude at UNO who was a music student. It was a generation younger than me. And he was a real ringer for what I looked like at that age. Uh-huh. And we just avoided the hell out of each really? other. It really depressed us both. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My, uh, my son, anyway, you know, he's always like, what's up? You know, he's always, always give somebody like a, a head. He, so uh, he likes having red hair? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of my kids do. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good. You know, it's the, when you're a kid, the thing that makes you different is the thing that people will pick on you for. And sure. then you eventually get to, you know, control it or own it or do whatever you want with it when you get grown. And so I think that's the way I dealt with the fact that I had this misbehaving hair. And I just was <laughs> like, and I also had to go to Jesuit high school. My father, among other things, was an authority in Latin and Greek. He was okay. a classicist. And mm-hmm. so he really liked Jesuit because it had an emphasis on classics. Sure. But it was a pretty militaristic environment, and, and, and really, real broy, real real broed up, you know. It's pretty yeah. rough. I um, I so I graduated in 1987, which means I just celebrated my 35th year of not wearing khaki. Wow, I think you went there with my brother, actually. Uh, yeah, I think y'all were classmates. We'll, I bet I we'll did. discuss that later on. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, my, my parents threatened to send me to, I went to, to Ben Franklin, and my, my parents at one point when I was uh, uh, really out on a, on a limb, they threatened to, uh, to make me uh, go take the test for, uh, for Jesuit. And I said, do it. I will get the lowest score ever. I dare you. And they're like, oh, you got me there. Okay. I begged my parents to let me go to Ben Franklin. That's what kind did. of person I was. Right. And it, so you, I, yeah, you belong there. Yeah. My, my entire imitation of adulthood is an act of revenge against whatever people thought I was supposed to be doing. Okay, well, so uh, so you're you're out in L.A. You're 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 staying. Well, you know, when you say uh, living above the the uh, the the in the carriage house, I yeah. think of Sunset Boulevard, you know, like that's where the, is it William Holden? Is that who's there? Absolutely. The, I the just introduced house? it two weeks ago. Nice. Yes. He plays oh. Joe Gillis, the washed up screenwriter who can't make his car payments. <laughs> so he ends up on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a perfect movie. It is a perfect movie. God, it never gets old, man. Um, so, so you're out there living and, and you, you sell your first tr- script and uh-huh. you're working for all these different companies, Fox, DreamWorks, uh, New Line Cinema. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so during that time, is that when you, you make your first uh, film that, you, that starred a bunch of New Orleanians, Mutiny? Yeah, well, what, I think what made me want to be a filmmaker at that time was I... I Probably because of the Britannia, I worshipped, you know, Richard Linklater and Jim Jarmusch mm-hmm. and Spike Lee and all these people who had their own voice and their own style and they wanted to make movies their own way with their friends and also they were independent filmmakers. They just wanted to do it in their own way. And so, of course, once you're a studio screenwriter, you're sort of in the candy store, but you are what I would call a dependent filmmaker. You're sort of in this system where there's could be a lot of money, but there's no creative freedom and I like I said I did a lot of work and I earned a fair amount of money but I didn't really get my name on anything you can't google me and see all this fun stuff I worked on Mm. so I kind of wanted to sort of do that other thing which is where you make a movie your way and so in 1990 I'll I'll take it (laughs) (laughs) I'm not into the possessory credit you know what that is no that's where uh, where it says um, I'm 
a Martin Scorsese picture oh, or, yeah, you yeah, know, like uh, that. That, where you're, it's you're like a, a blankety blank yeah. film. No, it's just a little <laughs> weird. It's like, I like so calling it a picture. It makes me feel like Robert Evans or something. I do like that or a Spike Lee <laughs> joint, you know, where you, um, but I just mean like there's a credit for everybody. So it's like, I, I like saying automobile instead of car, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like written and directed by that's my credit. Okay. That's what I All did. Right. So I made a half hour film that was inspired by my experience living with and going on tour with the New Orleans Klezmer All stars who were a pretty funny bunch of course you know yes they were just a volatile bunch of personalities i'm sure <laughs> many of them have been uh, not just on your troubled men podcast but like sweeps week level guests <laughs> they have a lot to say i really enjoyed hanging out with those guys because they were so dissonant it just in the way they engaged with each other right it was just a constant state of conflict where you think that sometimes you have a band the Galactic is such a band where they get along. Uh, is that a revolutionary idea that you could just, you know, right? Well, like, that's a, the iguanas get along super well, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the Klezmers were a band that really thrived on having just a lot of um conflict, yeah, friction, spilkes. Anyway, so okay, right, <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know if that's the right word. I don't My know Yiddish either. is secondhand, yeah, but um, I'm a convert. But I had this one time where I went on the road with them and the I guess Ben was driving the van and he picked up everybody at you know at, at the crack of dawn and every time another person got in the van it was like a different level it was like <laughs> the thing ratcheting like up. In, you know in reservoir dogs where like another guy comes back to the warehouse and it's like another gun and another opinion and then as soon as five people are there they all shoot each other <laughs> it was a little bit like that where you're like okay five people are going to get in this van and so I thought that was I don't know, a real thing that would make for a good story. And uh, and so I made this movie, I wrote and directed it, and I made the, I sort of took uh, some people who were actors from Los Angeles and a couple of people who were local people who were not known as actors or movie people, but I thought would be great. So the lead is a guy named Nikki Cat who'd been in Dazed and Confused. Nikki Cat. Yeah. I, I want to talk about Nikki Cat. Yes. And I want to get into all this, but I'm, I'm looking at the clock, I'm looking at my drink, and I'm thinking this is a good time to take a break. It's a Henry. great time to refill. Go get yourself another cocktail, and we'll be right back. I wish I knew just how to sing. I'd go out and make a record, and it'll be the best of everything. I'd make records, send them all over the country. I'd make this whole darn country rain. And we're back. Back with our guest, my guest, Mr. Henry Griffin. Now, Henry, people ever call you Henry Griffith? They make that confusion. <laughs> 
<laughs> I do. I work with a gentleman named Kevin Griffith, uh-huh. and then I worked with another guy named Steve Hank. Uh-huh. And so it was uh, like a Hank and a Henry uh-huh. and a Griffin and a Griffith. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Although yeah, I, just, yeah, yeah. I was just looking at names uh, about the most popular surnames in Louisiana. This mm-hmm. is like where writers get their names for their characters from. And okay. Griffin is like the 50th most popular surname in Louisiana. You think that's that's high on the list? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it beats Griffith. Yeah, yeah. Well, so a, a griffin is like a half lion, half uh, uh, wing eagle. 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 Right, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. It's a yeah, it's a mythological creature. That's a cool name. I'll oh. take it yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, anyway, uh, you know, we're bringing terrific guests like Henry Griffin in uh, uh, week in and week out, and uh, you know we we have those uh, those costs. We're, we're having cocktails tonight. You know, the I've often said the Tr- Trouble Men podcast as well as the Feral Zone runs on notebooks and booze, and uh, they're not giving either one away. And uh, to to that end, uh, I want to thank a couple of, it's funny, the the same people seem to support the podcast over and over again, you know, familiar names. Uh, Once again, Bill Pichette, shout out to Bill Pichette. Uh, Once again, Steve Poulton. And twice since the last time I was able to even do a podcast and thank this guy, uh, Rob Mailer has has uh, supported the podcast, so shout out to all those guys. Wait, and, he supported uh, it twice since you last had a podcast. Since I was last able to to uh, to. Do you thank think he him. forgot the first time he did it? Perhaps and he was doing you know, it again? yeah, you know, we, you know, our, our, our supporters like to drink. <laughs> I think that's too. that's a plus. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But uh, you know, uh, be that as it may, you know, he, uh, you know, he's a, he's a solid guy, solid citizen, and uh, you know, they're using the the Venmo link. Yeah. And the PayPal link that we have in the in the show notes of every show, and the uh, the Facebook page on all those posts, and uh, you know we also have the the uh, Patreon page. You can become a patron. I have a, a handful, uh, uh, less than a handful, but you know they're they're there week in and week out, just like we are. And uh, you know other than that, follow us on social media, uh, rate, uh, review, and subscribe. Uh, you know, give us five stars. Cost you nothing. Um, we'll keep bringing you these terrific guests. Uh, I guess that's enough of that. So, uh, back to you, Henry. So, all right. So, I'm so, so, uh, when we last left, uh, yeah. we were talking to your, your, your working on your film mutiny with the great Nikki cat. Nikki now Kat. I know Nikki cat from the terrific movie boiler room, right. which is, which is kind of, uh, uh, Giovanni Ribisi's breakout role, a yep. small film. It must've been not an expensive film to make, but a great movie. It ha- it, it holds up today. It's a lot of talk and it's a lot of dialogue and Nikki cat plays a kind of an asshole, but a pretty funny one. Yeah. Don't pitch the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> so Nikki- you tell your story and then I have a follow up with a Nikki cat story. Right. So go ahead. Oh my goodness. Nikki Nikki Cat is a very good friend of mine. We uh who sort of connects to this movie I looked up to, Dazed and Confused. He was one of my running partners in Los Angeles. And so when I was, th- and he was already a very successful film actor. Right. And so when I said I was thinking about coming down here and making a movie about my unusual friends, inspired by my unusual friends, mm-hmm. he said, sure. And I told him I was going to populate the movie with a combination of professional actors and non-professional actors. He said, sure, go for it. So Nikki and I came down here to New Orleans and I knew that it was going to be, it's five dudes in this band. And I was one of them. And I knew Alex McMurray had to be another one. Because he's great he's in the just, movie, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the party was born to play. He was the roommate of Jonathan Fralick, who was in the Klezmer All-Stars. So we all knew the issues so well. And I mean, Alex is just, uh, 
a, a born curmudgeon. Curmudgeon. It just happens to be his wheelhouse. <laughs> so he was he was really quite excellent at it. And then Chris Lane, who is uh, really one of the funniest people you will ever meet in the world. Who you're pitching for the podcast? I hope to, to get <laughs> he, Chris Chris on the show. And you should, career. man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, I just knew he was. I mean, you'll get Chris on this podcast, and your listeners will know he's just really. Uh, how do you put it? He's like Robin Williams funny, where he's oh, just wow. fast, okay, fast, 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 um, and mean. We wanted some di- some some uh, some cruel wits, <laughs> and so then the fifth person it's really interesting. I had another actor lined up who had to drop out at the last minute, and Nikki said, "Pal, what about Rio?" And uh-huh. so Rio Hackford. Um, who I, most people in New Orleans, I feel like, had to have known by this point uh, because he was the operator of One Eye Jacks and he helped start Pal's Lounge and, uh, and many of them, El Matador, of course. Right. And had spent time in high school here in New Orleans working at Margaritaville and things like that. He, um, he But at the time, he was an actor in Los Angeles. He'd been in Swingers. Uh, he'd been in the Todd Haynes movie Safe, and he sort of impulsively jumped in to work on this movie where he didn't know anybody except Nikki. And so Rio had a great time, and the five of us were the ensemble of the movie. And then Rio ended up staying here and going right into his his uh, operating the El Matador and really oh, so, creating so, that whole so scene. So Rio hadn't lived here before before Mutiny. Well, he spent some time here in high school because, of course, his dad. Okay. I spent a lot of time here and had a Taylor house around the corner. Taylor, yeah, of course, yeah. lived nearby. So I wouldn't say that he'd never lived here. Okay. And I think he probably had a plan to come down here anyway and do something special. But I, I, I feel really lucky that this movie helped facilitate. He just sort of showed. It, it forced him to spend some time down here in a way that really made him think about New Orleans. And I think the it bug. Had, yeah, yeah, in fact. And, of course, you have to mention... The sixth dude who is in Mutiny is Theral DeCluet. Theral, yeah, yeah. The yeah. house man who is the singer for Galactic, among many other things. And the and, reward. And I was watching the watching the movie, and uh, yeah. you know, it's like uh, it's, it's uh, a quarter ghost. You know, you have <laughs> Theral is gone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Rio is, has passed as well. Theral was such a joy. Anybody who knew him will tell you he was a joy and very memorable and just you know. Like a real Falstaff, a pleasure to be around, and that's a, real a guy Falstaff. Yeah, wow. I like the reference. <laughs> he, he was really <laughs> that's a first for the trouble. And that's podcast. a dude that it's. I don't know. Any filmmaker can tell you about this. The gods of cinema, where where things just sort of go your way. Mm-hmm. There's probably a moment in any movie that ends up going right, where things seem to be going in the wrong direction. Okay. And the moment in making that movie was when Thurl has some a long monologue, and he just delivered it with the sun coming up behind him. He was just so funny i never have enough money to make movies which means that sooner or later somebody's gonna have to talk for two minutes straight and not mess up uh-huh i don't <laughs> like and this is where the movie is between action and cut and he was really fantastic he was very special and it, you know he ended up getting a little bit more acting work out of it i years later i did the behind the scenes documentaries for the dukes of hazard movie that shot down here okay uh in 2005 the one with johnny knoxville mm-hmm. and right, the right. director's a uh, pal, and he was, and he said, "Do you think that guy would be in the movie?" So Thurl DeCluet wow. plays a judge in the Dukes of Hazard movie, and he presides over Burt Reynolds, Willie Nelson, Johnny Knoxville, uh, Jessica Simpson, all the stars of this movie, and he's the judge. Oh, that's that was cool. a funny, funny day. 
Makes me want to go see that movie. Wow. <laughs> I miss them all the time. You know, it's, it's so funny. New Orleans is so small. Like uh, before the podcast, we were talking about that your wife was uh, a teacher of both of my children yeah. and actually their favorite teacher at, yeah. uh, at Lusher. Yeah. So um, my father was a school principal on the West Bank, and uh, he had like a counselor or something who made a like a vocal like a gospel type record vocal group record and gave him a copy and then i and my father gave me all of his records and i'm looking through them one of them is called holly grove a group called oh holly God. grove and i'm looking through i was like there's Daryl, Daryl new orleans <laughs> best kept secret <laughs> yes. that's the name of that record that's right so i my have man, a that's vinyl, a rare side a vinyl copy of that record. <laughs> <laughs> that is an, that is not a common record sir <laughs> Hold on to that. That's fantastic. Yeah, and we are sitting in uh, Snake and Jake's Christmas Club Lounge, which you mentioned, uh, Reward, you know, uh, Michael yeah. Ward. This was kind of his uh, office uh, of sorts, you know, his night office. Absolutely. So uh, we're really, uh, really, really tying up some knots, really connecting some some dots here. So anyway, back to Nikki Cat. Or uh, are, are you done with, with Mutiny? Is there I think more I'm there? done with it. The okay. most excruciating for, thing for anybody listening to this podcast is that you can't find Mutiny. It's such a cult classic. You have to know me and I'll let you watch it. Okay. Well, so there's, a, there's so. allegedly a Blu-ray. I say allegedly like I'm not the one doing it. <laughs> there's a Blu-ray coming out hopefully in the next year or so. And if I do it, I'll have a, you know, a public screening. It plays really well. It's really an interesting time capsule of New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fun. I watched the whole thing again. I hadn't seen it in 20 years. And you saw it on VHS. Well, yeah, I did. <laughs> that was the only copy. You had to have the Lightning Dubs VHS tape. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, you sent me a link. I watched it. It was so fun to see it again today. Anyway, so Nicky Cat. So, uh, you know, I know Nicky Cat, and I know he's a friend of yours. And uh-huh. we're going to get into some of your other uh, uh, freaky friends um, from the film world. But, uh few years ago we're playing santa cruz uh, uh-huh. a place we've played a million times a blues bar there i can't recall right what it's called at the moment Moe's, i think uh, in santa cruz anyway uh nikki cat is there and at the end of the night nikki cat's like come back to my place come back to my mom's house and i'm like let's go man and joe's like no we gotta go man we gotta go somewhere else i'm like no let's go to nikki's house <laughs> and nikki's like come on man follow me and i'm like follow him and joe's like no we got to go to our, i'm like well let me out of the van <laughs> oh my I'm god go this is mutiny too i love it <laughs> i'm gonna go with nikki let me out of the van pal <laughs> and joe's like no ray it's gonna be forever we're not gonna be able to get you back <laughs> man. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> come on it sounds like fun man <laughs> yeah and so does this story end with martin sheen going up river to find you anyways that's my nikki cat story it didn't really develop into something but anytime i see the guy I'm like i know that guy yeah I would assume, uh, as a bass player, did you see the other movie, Tortured by Joy? Yes, I did. Oh, yes, Jay Holland. Now, we've got <laughs> we to talk about Jay Holland. Right. Because, uh, you know, Jay Holland from uh, Narcissi is his oh. band. Uh, you know, what a, what a fucking monster. I know you guys are close. Yeah. Um, you know, he had the band Narcissi. Uh, he's a guitar player and band leader. Uh-huh. Jay would do stuff that you've never seen anybody do with a guitar. You you think you've seen people do guitar tricks? You've never seen someone um, unbutton their their shirt and pants and put the guitar inside of their clothes during a song while the band's still playing, yeah. and then start playing the guitar through their clothes. Yeah, and actually make music out of it. Yeah, it's, he's some solo through his t-shirt. <laughs> I've seen him put his leg over the neck of the guitar 
with the strap still on him and and then he's playing guitar behind you know it's like this the weirdest thing it's like yeah. why are you doing that and how are you doing that and how are you still playing musically and one time you know alex mcmurray you mentioned uh him early you know star of uh, mutiny uh great guitar player a uh, former uh, uh guest on the troubled men podcast anyway he was there and i sidled up next to him i was going wow you you you're you're into narcissi like i really dig narcissi he goes oh man this is my jam <laughs> uh, so jay holland among other things he's my friend for a very long time he was the he worked on mutiny he was the craft service person I saw that. That's the person who handles the snacks and the catering. And that's a very, very important job. And most people don't gravitate to it. But Jay immediately volunteered. He said, somebody's going to have to handle this. And I, it seems like a, a, an unusual thing to single somebody out for. But it was so good. And I remember the night he made tofu dogs. And I said, I'm a vegetarian, so I was delighted. But okay. I said, did you have like hot dogs too or just tofu dogs? And he said, no. Only tofu dogs, because he said, I don't want to have a hot dog, not dog fracas. <laughs> I thought that was very wise. Very nice. wise, man. He's nice. a brilliant person. So I, I, as you can tell, I'm somebody who uh, comes to the edge of being like successful and then turns around and runs in the other direction. So I did not really want to be a big Hollywood screenwriter. I really wanted to make short films that played at film festivals and then nobody would see again okay all i really wanted to be was like a cult classic person nice so so, so you're uh, you're 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 delivering on your uh, yeah this is it <laughs> you're on the trouble men podcast that? congratulations <laughs> every day i feel cold i'm so cold i'm so cold <laughs> yeah this is it it's like where you're like sex out of orbit you're just disappearing so, from you know so for people that, that haven't seen uh you know, the movie you're talking about tortured by joy yeah. it, it's mostly stills it's uh so yeah. year a couple of years later i wanted to make another movie and i didn't have any of that hollywood money to make it mm -hmm. with and i said well what kind of movie can you make that costs nothing mm -hmm. and that you could keep working on it forever until it was like perfect like uh -huh. just polished and so there's a french film called la jete uh by chris marker that's a uh it's a famous french new wave short film it's all still photographs and a narrator it's got a science fiction story it was the original version of 12 monkeys oh, okay but i thought oh well if you had still photographs and a narrator you wouldn't have all these things that when you make movies or make so they, they sort of reveal your low budget like bad production audio or non-professional acting or all your no resources and other well I, well maybe i can go around and take photographs and then tell the story and then get and then after i've worked on it i'll get somebody to come in at the end and be like the celebrity narrator uh -huh. and that's exactly what i did and so, so how did you get john Lurie? the number one question <laughs> i worked on this movie for two years and everybody's like how did you get john Lurie to narrate because we all love john Lurie, right you know? stranger than paradise you yeah. know uh, well, on and on and on i'll get to it give me a second for jay it's not shortchange it's a, jay Holland. it's a story about a guy who messes up his life and then uh sort of gets himself out of his problems by learning like learning three chords on a bass and starting a punk band and and, and i like I, so my second favorite line in the movie is is uh you play bass you can train any shaved ape to play. any shaved ape can learn three chords on the bass yeah, that's right it's very true <laughs> so it was just full of witticisms and one-liners and so um the photographer in question was my friend libby nevinger who um lived not far from here 
and she, her husband, Bill, was in uh, Narcissi. Okay. And she was one of my dear friends from college, and she, I said Nevin, her name is Nevinger, I want to get it right. Um, and get she was right, a brilliant you know. photographer, and a brilliant, candid photographer. She got to second lines, and she just, I, I thought her work was really extraordinary. And I asked her to be the photographer and to, be, to do it as a partnership, and she said yes. And so, and she loved Jay. And so the three of us sort of went around taking pictures that would illustrate the story, and we sort of stole a lot of locations. Like we shot at the K and B Sculpture Garden. Right. We shot at the Hummingbird before it closed. Nice. Right. We would go to different places. We shot at the Mermaid. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All those interior shots, man. And it's great to see <laughs> see those shots of the Mermaid because yeah. I'm I'm so nostalgic for that oh, yeah. time. You know, it's yeah, yeah. Alex is wearing a Mermaid T-shirt in Mutiny. He's yes. wearing the Schaefer can shirt. Oh, oh, that is that's right. I, I, I knew I recognized the shirt from somewhere. I couldn't yeah. make it out. It, that is a one so of the I, versions. Yeah, yeah, you figured out that I'm obsessed with New Orleans and it's like rapidly disappearing institutions. So I'm well, happy to be in one right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's and, and a that's miracle what, that it's still that, here. That's the whole basis of the podcast, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's like uh, if if you're real old and and you might be expiring soon, yeah. you know, you move to the front of the line <laughs> on, on Troublement Podcast. So so, so uh, at the end of it, I knew it would help to get somebody as a narrator that would make people know notice the movie it's probably the same thing i did before with nikki cat like if the guy who was in dazed and confused would be in this little movie maybe people would make some connection makes sense that's how the world works so sure. uh lurie and i had mutual friends i'd hung out with him a couple of times we'd watch some basketball games together and he's uh, a true artist and right uh i ended up just going to his apartment in the middle of the night with a friend of mine who was a musician in a straight edge band. Mm-hmm. And we went there in the middle of the night and he um, graciously gave us an hour. It was recorded between like one and two in the morning. Oh, wow. He did we, it right there. Absolutely. We brought it. Nice. We, it was a, you know, it wasn't like this 2023 setup, but it was a microphone and a laptop. And we went over there. And of course, being John Lurie, he had a significantly better microphone. Yeah. So he pulled, he's like, what about this? And so we put it out there. And he had just. He was a prolific um, voiceover guy at the time. He was, you know, Toyota trucks. That's moving you forward. Oh, all right. I think he did low and brow. And so I think he was probably doing like animal cops or something the Uh next day. So I appreciated it. And he, uh, my favorite quote is that he was looking through, I I showed him some of the photographs. He was really just doing it like a voiceover. I'm reading all these lines. And he looked at the photographs and he said, Henry, you are not going to make any money. (laughs) <laughs> like he was telling you some yeah. news <laughs> i did i did know that <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Like, yeah john <laughs> i know <laughs> anyway i appreciate it because you know that's the that's the story of show business you work on the thing for so long i think it's really good you can find tortured by joy online and watch it and i hope you enjoy it and um but people always say how did you get john lurie and there was a it was a bit of a trick you know uh, trying to get anybody talented to take you seriously. Well, he, I would say that that you don't really notice that it's John Lurie. I mean, I knew going in that it was, yeah. but it, it doesn't distract you that right. you're not thinking, who is this guy? He just does a great job. He's perfect. No, he's a, he's fits, a brilliant narrator. <laughs> now, my my first favorite line in the movie is. Uh, uh, when when the when Jay is meeting a girl and he goes, she says her name is Dawn. And he goes, D- 
Dawn, like the dishwashing liquid. That's right. It's about this guy who's hung up on his ex-girlfriend named Joy, because that's a word that you see constantly. Right. Right? You would see it at, you know. Again, a, a dishwashing liquid. A dishwashing liquid. Okay. So it's really about how you get over the last thing to the next thing. Okay. By the way, you should get Teresa Young to be on the on the podcast, too. She's the, she's the woman who he meets in the bar. Uh, she looks very familiar. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we've crossed paths. Um, uh, okay, Henry. Well, I, see, this is how we develop guests. You know, we get good guests on, and they pitch other guests. And I go, oh no, I like that idea. Well, I, I, I before the internet and uh, social networks existed, there were just people who knew a lot of. This people. is how we did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think of myself as like, I, 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 like the lowest common denominator. I just knew a lot of people before I was, you know. A filmmaker, obviously, you know, I was on HBO, so people recognize me from being on Treme. You're on they, Treme, all, all, yeah. or four seasons anyway. If yeah, you yeah. think it's me, it's me. You're like, that's that guy. Oh, but before that, people would say, where do I know you from? And I would say, PJs, because I would have worked at PJs for a long right. time, or, you know, I, like, I and tore you. just recognizable, yeah. you know, you're one of those. I waited guys, on right? you. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's that thing where you sort of know everybody that way. Right. And then you just remember them all. And now, of course, the internet's come along to make it look really easy. I used to have to remember people's birthdays. Sure. Right? Yeah. Look, I remember going to Los Angeles with the with uh, the Panther Burns and going to the Amok bookstore and buying a, a research uh, industrial cultural handbook, <laughs> and uh, which had like Mark Pauline and right. Throbbing Gristle and bringing it back and reading every page and then passing it around yeah. to my friend group, you know, like this is some, uh, some found knowledge that <laughs> yeah, we've, we've discovered. That's, eh, you know, it used and, to be so much And now exciting. they Google it. Uh, and nobody cares. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. You know, we, we treated it with the respect that it, yeah. it deserved at that time, and now it's all, it's all equally, uh, you know, unimportant. It's the pictures that got small. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like the quote. Um, so, so since we're you know talking about some of these these uh, these Hollywood eccentrics, I, yeah. I, I believe that you have crossed paths with Timothy Carey. Wait, I don't think I had Timothy Carey, the actor Timothy yeah, Carey. Yeah, Tim Carey. Yeah, from uh, uh, World's Greatest Center, Paths of Glory. No, that guy's before my time. Oh, okay. I thought thought somehow you were hanging out with. I was going to ask you about Tim Carey and ask you about some other things. That would like, be pretty. Uh, that would be pretty astonishing. Like, I would uh, like to hang out with Timothy Carey. I think I, I think I was around Timothy Carey one time back in the uh, in the in the '80s, but uh, he was know. around. He did make it to the '80s, right? He's in Killing of a Chinese Bookie, oh, and then. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's not a dude. Okay, I, somehow I thought that, that I did you were... meet Lee Ermey at the Saturn Bar. Do you okay. know who that is? From, I don't. From I don't. Full Metal Jacket, the drill instructor. Oh, oh, that guy. Sure, yeah, sure, that sure. was like meeting Bella Lugosi. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That guy was a real drill instructor, right? In Absolutely. His former life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I'm just imagining that you know, like you're familiar with the the movie Putney Swope. Of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, most people aren't, but. You know, weird movie in the in the Robert Downey is another dude who made a photo montage movie like okay. Torture by Joy. He Robert a, Downey Sr. Yeah, Robert the, Downey Senior. The, the uh, uh, writer director. Yeah, of he made Swope. a he made a photo montage movie called Chafed Elbows. That's also there aren't that many movies in that style, but he's a, another dude who did one. Now Putney Swope is is seen as kind of a groundbreaking film in the sense that it inspired a lot of people because the other filmmakers saw it and went, oh, you can make a movie about anything. <laughs> it's really, 
<laughs> you know, there's, there's, it's like punk rock for movies. You know, it's like, oh, there's, uh, there are no yeah. boundaries. You can just do whatever you. I mean, that's how it worked. Is in the fifties, it was much easier for people to make movies on sixteen millimeter, or where the, or, or even to record sound at the same time. It, all that sort of post breathless French New Wave stuff made it very easy. But Putney Swope, of course, because all the sound is post dubbed, like a Fellini movie, uh-huh. where they he, where <laughs> Robert Downey used his own voice for the characters. So now you're like, okay, you just have to. That in some ways is as easy as Torture by Joy. It's one of the hardest things about making a movie is synchronizing the. Sound sound in the picture mm. because uh, making a movie is a very loud experience and right. recording sound requires absolute silence they're sort of in conflict with each other huh. so i think once you do something radical like putney swope or just completely re- take the take the challenge and turn it to your advantage you're bound to do something really original okay i like it well now that that takes me to another point that i that i wanted to uh to to grill you on is uh uh current movie audio now i don't know if you saw this thing <laughs> in netflix about how netflix can tell when people are turning on the uh, closed caption apparently it's it's very uh overutilized it's not just people that are hard of hearing right who are using closed captioning and i use it myself because uh-huh. you, i can't fucking understand what people are saying is it mumblecore is it uh <laughs> you know and, but then i'll watch a movie that was made in the 60s where they probably have like one microphone yeah and you can hear it clear as day because everyone is enunciating. Everyone is speaking up like a grown-up. Yeah, because the microphone's on the table, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I watched The Hustler the other night. Right. You know, so, so all these movies, like like we were saying before, uh, you know, before Blockbuster, before uh, you know what we have now. If you wanted to see The Hustler, I don't know. It's like where would you see it? You know, so I've gone my entire life without ever seeing The Hustler. Also, never saw The Color of Money. So in the last month, I watched. You watched them both. I watched them both. Yeah, they're yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love them both. The Hustler. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm a Color of Money guy. I think that movie is Paul is Newman really, is fucking great in anything, man. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is really great in that movie. Yes. Right? Yes, Isn't that the yes. movie where, where? Uh, Forrest Whitaker, his character's name is Amos. He hustles Fast Eddie out of all of his money. And at the end, he says, you can level with me. He says something like, did you just hustle me? And Forrest Whitaker looks at him and says, do you think I need to lose some weight? That's <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite lines of the movie. So, that, so Color of Money is written by Richard Price. Okay. Richard Price wrote, he's a great novelist. He wrote The Wanderers. He wrote Clockers. Mm-hmm. And he was a writer on The Wire. So uh, Richard Price is one of my favorite dialogue writers. And he's a, just a pretty brilliant writer all the way across the board. So a lot of people don't think much of The Color of Money because it's not Raging Bull and it's not Goodfellas and it's not The Hustler. But... Um, I think you got you did the important thing, which is you got the first viewing out of the way, and now when you go back, you're going to see new things every time. John okay. Turturro is in that movie. Yeah, no, no, I <laughs> I, I enjoyed them both, man. No, it's just, it's crazy yeah. how I've I'm you know uh, 59 years old and I'm still watching some of these movies. Look, I have the Sting up in my queue because I've never seen the Sting. You've never seen the never sting. seen the Sting. Um, I know, I know. Thanks to my film teacher, Andrew Horton, I got to interview the director of this thing, George Roy Hill, at the West End when I was a student at Loyola. That was pretty exciting. 
Man, everybody tells me, oh, it's great. Oh, you're going to love it. You know, I saw, I saw uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in the theater as a kid, yeah. you know, but I don't know. My parents went and saw The Sting without me. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is, you know, this thing works really well. I watched it not too long ago. I think it's fine. I think it's really important to leave things like that for you to discover later in life. Yeah. Right? I When I was a kid, I was obsessed with cinema, and I ran roughshod over everything. I would say I've seen almost every every time they put out a list of the AFI or the Sight and Sound 100. These are films I'm already sort of familiar with. I watched them all. So it's really nice when there's a movie left that you haven't seen that you've saved for yourself. Oh, man. And, and you know... Uh you know, we're kind of in the golden age of, of television and, you know, of content. You know, the, I watched yeah. some of these, like, limited series yeah. shows, which seem, some of them are so high quality. It seems like an eight-hour movie, which yeah. seems like that would be a filmmaker's dream to be able to make, you know, an eight-hour movie that runs in, you know, as a serial. Right, like... like uh Berlin Alexander Plots, which was a Fassbender thing that he did. Right, in the right, right. Well, it was very rare. It used to be that s- movies were like the classy sibling and television was like the less classy one. Sure. That there was a kind of caste system where all you wanted to do was work on movies and then that's a very touch and go business. It's very high risk, high reward. And then sooner or later you get sent down to the minor leagues, which is television, uh-huh. where two thirds of the work was for screenwriters and Actors who weren't as handsome or gorgeous as they used to be got married and had kids and had divorces, and they needed regular income, and so they would go to television. And so that episodic, it's just a better business model. The only thing that made it difficult was that people preferred going to the movies. And that exhibition model, right, of like going to the show, was the way cinema ran the whole time. And now particularly in the pandemic that that's sort of over that people are just going to stay home it's funny when you're at home watching your amazon or your netflix and something comes on and you're like oh it's a television show i will watch 12 hours of this but then a movie comes up on netflix and when i see a movie that's like an original movie that's made for one of these streaming services it sort of reminds me of this thing that we used to have called a TV movie? Yeah, TV movie of the week. Yeah, TV movie was not a real movie. You would never see it in the theater. It might right. have had lower production values. It might have had less famous people in it. Some of them were it. great, though. Like, uh, you know, the original uh, Stepford Wives was a yeah. TV movie. You know? <laughs> right? So you, so uh, there's still this thing where you go to the movies. And I can actually get back to your thing about sound. I okay. think one of Bring the problems... See, you're, you're used to showbiz. <laughs> <laughs> is that... When you go to the movies, the experience is getting louder and louder. And when you go and you see the trailers for the movie, they're even louder than that. Yes. They're using noise as a kind of spectacle to get mm-hmm. you excited about the experience. But the mix, because you're a musician, you mix music all the time, that it seems like there's an even greater distance between the loud things and the quiet things. So you can't, on your home television unless you have some sort of home theater calibrated so it can be loud enough that you can hear what people are saying but not so loud that you wake the neighbors right so you can't set your screen at a single volume so there you are with your remote turning it up and down all the time yes. so you just keep it at the volume that keeps everybody in your neighborhood <laughs> asleep and turn on the closed captions okay all right <laughs> that makes sense that, that actually makes sense they did uh, a thing did you watch the white lotus oh yeah yeah so you know this thing where jennifer coolidge spoilers ahead things don't go that well for her in the final episode of that show sure and there's somebody on the boat who's trying to get her right and you know 
that in the closed captions, it gives the character who's speaking a name, and uh-huh. it tells you something that you wouldn't have known from hearing, oh. that somebody's on the boat. Interesting. Like, the, the closed captions kind of spoil something. Right, because like, killer or something? Well, I mean, <laughs> okay, I, I want people to watch The White Lotus. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a great show now. Yeah. I, I thought so, anyway. I enjoyed it. Oh, Her husband know. was on the boat. Ooh. Right? Because oh, he's wow. in the closed captions. They said that he said something, and you're like, oh, he was trying to kill her, like everybody said. Oh, man. See, I, 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 I missed out on and that. And here uh, you are blaming your closed yeah, captions. Yeah. They're your best friend. Well, no, no, I like the closed <laughs> captions. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm uh, bemoaning the fact that I need them, that I can't, right. I can't hear what they're saying. And, you know, I, I am a musician. I do have a 4K dropout, you know, 4,000 cycles, you know, right. like all musicians have. You know, we have good hearing and then it gets to 4,000 cycles. It's a huge, <laughs> huge dip and then it goes back. You right. know, it's, it's right in the same range as uh, cymbals and human speech. So it's, uh, it's you know... Uh, anyway, so uh, okay, you, you've uh, we'll, we'll uh, dispense with that topic. Uh, we're we're kind of coming to the uh, the end of the podcast, but a couple of things I want to touch on. So we mentioned that you are a college professor. You're oh. you're teaching film at the University of New Orleans. Uh, my 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 father is a alma mater. One of them is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one thing is like uh, you didn't go to film school. No. So, but you're teaching film. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, one thing is question is can film be taught and then I want to get into the quality of the students you have these days. Right. So I'm a weird uh candidate, I guess. I didn't really study screenwriting. I sort of figured it out. It's a little bit like chess. The rules are not difficult. It's the practice maybe that gets you the sort of game at it. Okay. When I wanted to direct a film, I just uh put some money aside and surrounded myself with really talented other filmmakers. And so I probably spent on making this short film what other people would spend going to get a degree. So that's, no, that's what it seems like everybody says, everybody who actually yeah. makes films, they, they say, uh, I wanted to go to film school and somebody said, just make a film. You'll, you'll learn. <laughs> just put that money towards making a some film. Some of those people learn. were never heard from again. But uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so and then I acted in the short film probably I don't know what gave me the idea to do it it was probably Kevin Smith where you think oh if you can just be a witty deliverer of your own dialogue I so like that's the cornrows for you it's a, it's a bold a bold choice yeah, I yeah. honestly was worried about continuity uh-huh. I was worried about how my hair which doesn't really look the same two days in a row <laughs> and I thought hilarious. right I was like let me just paint it down braids. and it'll look the same every day that's and funny. also you know it's just um uh, it's real trashy looking, man. <laughs> My hairstyle in general is very... Um, it's a very aggressive look for yeah. you. <laughs> and so <laughs> there's another film where I do play... I do occasionally get cast to play a villain. Uh-huh. And I don't think of myself as personally a very threatening The cornrows. The cornrows yeah. put you right in it. Don't, you know, it looked like you just came out of Angola. The, <laughs> I don't know. Acting a lot of it's just about the right level of eye contact. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably scare somebody that way. But uh, So I was a weird person. I didn't... I ended up being a teacher, but I never... I never took, I never studied most of the things that I teach, Mm -hmm. even to the level of like, I did study a little bit of film studies, but I I wouldn't put myself on the level of like a scholar who publishes criticism or theory or that kind of stuff. I just sort of lucked out. I stayed here. I moved back in 2004. I was here for a lovely year, then Katrina, and then I stuck around. 
And then the two rewards really for sticking out after Katrina, one of them was, you know, ending up on Treme, which I think if I hadn't been part of the narrative of New Orleans after Katrina, I don't think they would have thought of me as a person to put in their little menagerie. And then the other thing is that in 2007, they needed somebody to teach writing and directing. And I think at the time, people weren't really thinking about living in New Orleans. Now, of course, with the high rents and the people transplanting you from other places i think the word got out renee after our whole lives where people knew how wonderful new orleans was but they would never live there Mm -hmm. and now we're living in this place where you know people figured out you could kind of make the trade and live here and it's kind of worth it there's a lot more people i think who love new orleans and are dedicated to it than there seemed to used to be i could be wrong well you know it's it's uh, again this these are trying times henry (laughs) and uh, we will shake out the the weak hands it is true we're lifers but i don't think i could i would i felt really lucky to get this position so i teach uh uh screenwriting and film directing at and a few other things at the university of new orleans and i really i really love it it's real, like I said, I loved being in college. It's just a great time of life where you're just starting to figure out who you are. And in particular, you mean you get you see me get excited when I see somebody who just watched like The Color of Money. Uh-huh. That I, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like you've never seen the rules of the game. Shame on you, right? It's yeah. an ex, it's an exciting uh, experience to be around people. Uh, you know, particularly with cinema, there's a lot of other art forms like say I don't know, music. Literature is the worst because it's thousands of years old and it's really hard to really try and do anything new. And in music, you know, Freilich turned me on to this book called Effortless Mastery by Mm. Kenny Werner, the jazz pianist, Mm -hmm. who said that the problem of being a musician is that anybody who's ever, you know, anybody who picks up a an instrument to play a song has probably had it played better than that by one of their heroes. And so how do you like do your job knowing that you chose your job because of people who are much better than you'll ever be uh-huh. so you have to kind of like get i think it inspired that band he and alex had called the drunken masters that uh-huh. was the kind of mastery of like they used to have this meditation i am a master every note i play is the most beautiful note i have ever heard so i think that cinema is such a young art form 120 i don't know eight years old depends how you count and there's so much more to be done with it that's ever been done. And it's not just movies or television or Netflix or video games or other sorts of, you know, uh, episodic narrative. There's so much exciting stuff in their future. that, And they also technologically have more power in their phone than anybody ever had ever. Right. Right. My pal Larry Blake used to say that NASA put a man on the moon with 64K of RAM. Right. <laughs> Like a like a watch, like right. A, uh, so yeah, yeah. first of all, there's nobody in, on Earth who could put a person on the moon with 64k of RAM now. Sure. So let's take our hats they off. They had slide to that. rules. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, they just knew how slide they just work. aimed yeah, yeah, right yeah. with yeah. that those yeah. dudes. But uh, that these young people have so much more power, and so it's really exciting to like help them do what they're going to do. I don't. I, I try not to be too much of a gatekeeper, <laughs> but it's a real pleasure. I love UNO, and I really like. Uh, people don't have to go to college so i love people who choose to do it i also deeply sympathize with college students because i mean i borrowed money to go to school did you uh no did you skip college uh no i went to uh, i went to loyola on a scholarship good and, man and and uh left yeah. when when i got to go on the road with the band <laughs> <laughs> good work i mean i wasn't really happiest day of my life when i realized i was not going back to school <laughs> ever again that's right. i also support people who don't go to school or drop out i think it's kind of great i don't think people have to do it but i just um 
I don't know. I enjoy a job's a job, but I love going in the classroom. I just did it today. I'll do it tomorrow. I mean, I get to talk about movies. I, I mean, listen, you referenced my wife, Larissa Gray, who is uh, a truly brilliant teacher. She was a great teacher for your kids. Yes. I call people who teach high school actual teachers. Okay. You know, she's in the infantry. I yeah, say yeah, that yeah. she educates people in the transitive sense of the verb. If you put her in a room with people who didn't know things and you told her what they needed to know, she would teach them just like you would fix a car. Right, she would right, instruct right, right. them in a way that they would retain the information. College is often built around um, bloviation, people just being intelligent and just sure, shooting sure. their wisdom out into the direction of people who need to know things. Like this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I... Uh, I just enjoy education in general. I'm something of an autodidact, but I love being around intelligent people. I love listening to people like you and Manny. And I like, uh, I like listening to my students. It's a real blast. Man, well, uh, you know, I have so much more we could talk about. Henry, you and I, I could tell we would never run out of, of anything. Maybe you and I will start a podcast and we'll do 10 episodes. Renee, and movie, never again. People, movie people love sequels. <laughs> Okay. So by popular demand. Okay, a part yeah. two. All right, all right, all right. The guest is demanding his own part two. Well, uh, Henry, God, this has been so much fun, man. I'm, I'm, I thank you for uh, uh, pushing me to do this tonight. It was the right move to do. And, uh, man, for uh, for Snake and Jakes, for uh, the Trouble Man podcast, uh, for uh, the Feral Zone, thank you, Henry. Uh, I am Renee Coatman, once again, signing off from inside the feral zone. Good night.
the place. Space is the place, yeah. Space is the place. Space is the place. Space is the place. Space is the place, yeah. Space is the place.